Our God is worthy to be praised. Matthew chapter number 11. Beginning with verse number 28 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have your seats. So we are currently in this series, The Profile of a Disciple. This series, every Sunday, you hear multiple times that we exist as a church to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. That's our mission, our purpose. It's why we exist. But the question that must be answered is, how do we know when we've got one? How do we know what a fully devoted follower of Christ looks like? What are the marks the characteristics that identify a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And as we set the culture by way of language here at the Bridge Church, here is our answer to that question of how do we know that we're being successful at developing fully devoted followers of Christ. A fully devoted follower of Christ is one who loves God and others. One who learns Christ. One who lives by the Spirit. And one who leads others to Christ. The language of a profile of a disciple. The marks. This list is not meant to be exhaustive. But it includes broad categories that cover pretty well a good portrait or a profile of a disciple. A fully devoted follower of Christ is one who loves God, learns Christ, lives by the Spirit, and leads others to Christ. So last week we looked at the first mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ as one who loves God. And loves others. It is evidence that we are in God and God that is, is in us. The, the, the evidence that we love God is that we love one another. And so today we look at the second mark of a fully devoted follower of Christ, which is one who is a learner of Christ. 
First thing I want us to look at this morning in this passage, Matthew chapter 11, beginning with verse number 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. First thing we see in this passage is a call to salvation. A call to salvation. Hear the sweet words of the Savior. He simply says, come to me. Let me set you up with some of the context of what has been happening here in Matthew chapter 11. Jesus has been speaking to a crowd of listeners. And in this crowd are people from different backgrounds, different spiritual states. In this crowd that Jesus is speaking to are those that are committed and uncommitted. This mixed crowd of those who are believing and unbelieving. And this crowd are both enemies of Christ and friends of Christ. Believers and unbelievers. And though this is a mixed crowd, Jesus extends an invitation to everyone in the crowd to come to me. Friends, see with me the uniqueness of this call. And to understand the uniqueness of the call, we have to go back to Jewish understanding of discipleship. Jews prized the knowledge of God. Therefore, Jewish children at an early age, some say as early as the age of three, would begin to learn to read and write by studying the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The education of Jewish children occurred in three stages. The first stage began at the age of five. Boys and girls entered the house, what was called the house of the book. And in this stage, they learned how to read and write from the Torah. The second stage uh, uh, called for them to matriculate through the house of learning, which is where they studied the rest of the Old Testament. So they went from the house of the book to the house of learning. And then the third stage was for the brightest pupils. It, it, they, they, it, for those who were brightest, they graduated to what was called the house of study. Before they could enter into this third stage, this third level of study, they had to pass a series of tests. They, there was an, multiple entrance exams administered by the head rabbi. And if the head rabbi thought that they showed promise, then he would invite them to follow him until the age of 30, which is when one could start their own ministry. Notice again what is required to follow a traditional Jewish rabbi. First, there had to be successful matriculation through the first two stages of Jewish education. Then you had to make your intent known 
to the head rabbi that you wanted to continue your study until the third stage. For those who didn't cut it, they went back to whatever the family business was, fishing, carpentry, whatever. After that, then you had to pass a test to follow the rabbi. See, see, to f- the tra- traditional Jewish educational system was a merit-based system. And here comes Jesus, and he turns this model completely on its head. Jesus doesn't wait for his potential students to come to him. Rather, he goes and pursues his students. Jesus does not wait for the best and the brightest to come to him, but he takes very common, uneducated folk like fishermen and tax collectors to be a part of his rabbinic school. And friends, what differentiates Jesus' call and the traditional call of the rabbi is simply that of grace. One is merit-based, the other is grace-based. Jesus, in the traditional Jewish discipleship system, the students pursue the rabbi. But now Jesus he completely changes the model, and he, as the master teacher, goes and pursues his students. Y'all missed a good place to say amen. Because if it had not been for Christ pursuing us, we wouldn't be saved today. Because if we didn't have, even if we had good sense, we still wouldn't pursue Christ. Because in our hearts of hearts, we, 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 we would rather follow our own idols and saviors. But yet Christ, knowing all of this about that crowd and this crowd, he still uh, uh, extends this invitation to come to him. Jesus invites us to follow him, not because we are worthy, not because of our goodness, not because of our connections, not because of who we know, not because of our network, but it's all because of his grace. Jesus doesn't wait for us to come to him and ask permission to follow him. Rather, he pursues us and issues an invitation to follow him. And friends, Jesus is still calling. He's calling those who by the world's standards are not fit, are not worthy to follow him. His invitation is still open for all sinners to come and follow him. Now, I must tell you that this invitation requires an RSVP. And this is why I'm so thankful for grace, because I am awful at RSVPs. You invite me to something, I may show up, I may not show up. It'll be a surprise. (laughs) But Jesus' invitation to salvation, to come and follow him, requires a response. And that response is simply one of faith. It's not a response of matriculating to some Jewish school. It's not a response of being the best and the brightest. It's not a response based on merit, but it's one simply based on faith. 
It requires trusting in the Jesus who is the Son of God who paid our sin debt in full by dying on an old rugged cross, being buried and rising on the third day victoriously from the grave. And the promise that we have is that if we believe in him for forgiveness of sins, we shall be saved. Notice, notice, not only do we see the uniqueness of the call, we've seen also the universality of the call because he says, come to me all, not just Jews, whoever you are, whatever you've done, wherever you've been, how good you are, how bad you are, he says, call, come to me all. But notice what he says. Where are you to come? Jesus says to me. He doesn't say come to church. He, doesn't, he says come to me. Not to a school of the rabbis, but to me. Not to the school of the Pharisees, but to me. Not to a religion, but to me. Jesus says, I'm calling you to myself. Not religion, but a person. Why does Jesus extend an invitation to come to him? It's a really easy answer. Because Jesus knows and taught that he is the only way to be right with God. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Friends, the rabbis can't save you. They are sinners just like you. Sinners can't save sinners from the penalty of sin. The Pharisees can't save you. Notice, they heard the words of the Messiah and still didn't believe. They saw the Messiah in flesh and still didn't believe. Therefore, they are unable to save us. Only Jesus is qualified and able to save. So we see, friends, that discipleship is first about entering into a gracious, exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. Discipleship is about entering a gracious, exclusive relationship with Jesus Christ. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The word here, labor, translates hard toil, painful toil. It's a word for those who are exhausted. Heavy laden means those who carry a heavy load. The original hearers of this invitation were those who were exhausted from trying to comply to all the demands of the law. The law in and of itself was not the problem. It came from God. It's holy. The problem was rather the interpretation of the law by the Pharisees and scribes. The, the Pharisees interpreted the law so that there were 365 prohibitions and 248 positive commandments. 
Altogether, there are 613 rules that you were to obey perfectly. And Jesus knew that these interpretations of the law had become too heavy to bear. And these Jews were exhausted from trying to be right with God by observing all these rules, regulations, and rituals. They kept trying to do better, work harder. Their spirituality was based on performance and effort. And Jesus knows that they are exhausted. And Jesus says to those who are exhausted and carrying a heavy load, you can come to me. The, the truth of the matter is that there may be someone here today who is exhausted. You are tired of trying to earn salvation by doing good works and living a perfect life. You are exhausted from trying to find satisfaction and worldly pleasures. You, you are exhausted from dealing with some addiction. You are exhausted from chasing after the American dream. You are exhausted from stress and worry that come with life. You are exhausted from trying to conform to the standards of this world. You are exhausted from trying to please others. You are exhausted of living by rules, rituals, and regulations. You are exhausted from yielding to temptation on a daily basis. In the word of our Savior and our Lord to those who are tired and exhausted, Jesus says, come to me. Here's the consequence for those who, here's a word for the weary, an exhortation to the exhausted. Jesus says, I will give you rest. For, and that's what someone in this room today is looking for, rest from the toil of dealing with guilt, shame, sin, despair, and depression. You're looking from, for rest from a religion that is based on performance and effort. You're looking for rest from a religion which says do better and try harder. Jesus says two things about this rest. He's, first of all, he says it's a guarantee. He says, I will give you rest. This is a promise, a guarantee. Not I might give you rest, I will give you rest. This is a sure promise of God. Not only is it a guarantee, but it's also a gift. Jesus says, I will give you rest. This is a rest that can't be earned. It's a gift. And too many of us in this day and age, we want to earn a right relationship with God. We want to earn the blessings of God. We want to earn the favor of God. But this, for this, in this relationship with Christ, you can work too hard for it. You can't earn it. It's a gift of grace from our master. 
whatever it is you're struggling with, Jesus says the rest for your exhaustion is found in a right relationship with me. And it's one that's based on grace and faith. We see this call to salvation, but we also see this call to submission. Look at the text. Verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Remember that the yoke was a wooden beam that joined animals together so that they could work together. The the yoke signified submission to another's rule of authority. And Jews were considered to be under the yoke of Moses because they learned from the Mosaic law. And as we said earlier, this yoke had become too heavy to bear. And Jesus says, I want you to take a different yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. What does it look like, though, to be yoked up with Jesus? I'm glad you asked. It's right here in the text. He says, take my yoke upon you. Here it is. And learn. There it is of me. Here explicitly is the great invitation. Mm. Matthew, the book of Matthew is filled with a bunch of greats. You know, at the very end, we have the great commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Matthew 22, 37, we have the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And the second is likened to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But there's also a great constitution in the book of Matthew. We have the constitution of the church when Jesus says to Peter, Thou art the rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. But here in Matthew 11, we have another great This great invitation where Jesus invites all to come and follow him, take his yoke upon you and learn from him. Here explicitly is the invitation to discipleship from Christ. Why why do I say that this is an invitation to discipleship? Because the, the, the word translated learn here in the text from the original language comes from the same root where we get the word disciple. By definition, a disciple is a learner. To be yoked up with Christ means to become his disciple. It means to come under his rule and his authority. It is to become his student. A disciple is one who becomes a lifelong learner of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what it it means to follow Christ. Go back to the Jewish context. Don't read this so much with Western eyes. In the Jewish context, they literally meant for you to, when you come after me, you have to follow me. Because I'm going to be on the move. I am a traveling teacher. I go from place to place. And so where I go, you're going to have to go. That's why you have to follow me. 
So Jesus says here, you have to learn from me. Now, let's make something, let's make sure we're very clear on what we mean when we talk about learn. This is not about just accruing a bunch of information about Christ. That's not why we learn Christ. And that's some of the problem that we have in church now. Is that we got a lot of people who know a lot about Christ, but they do nothing with it. And so we have a bunch of spiritually constipated Christians. Because you got a lot of information in you, but it's not passing out of you. I'm glad y'all will remember that one illustration. Happy New Year. The goal of learning is transformation. Here's what Jesus said. Remember, he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Teaching them. If there's a teacher, there's got to be learners. Why do we teach them? To obey. The goal of all discipleship is conformity to the image of Christ. Colossians 1.28, Paul says, and it's him referring to Christ, we proclaim that you all may be built up to spiritual maturity. The goal of discipleship, the goal of learning Christ, is so that we will become spiritually mature followers of Christ. The goal of learning is so that you will be fully devoted followers of Christ. What are we to learn? Jesus says, in this text, he says, learn from me. Not only does Jesus say learn from me, he's also saying learn of me. I've used this illustration before. I'll try it again. This has nothing to do with your body systems. Jesus says learn of me and learn from me. What's the difference? When I was in school, in college, two things mattered the most. The professor, and day one, you really didn't expect to do much but to go over the syllabus. And if you actually did in the work, you were like, this professor is bonk. Because day one, it's all about the syllabus. Why did the syllabus matter? Because the syllabus contained a description of the course, the objectives of the course, but it primarily contained the curriculum of the course, what we were to learn, how we were going to learn it, when we would learn it, and our assignments and tasks from it. You had the professor. That's who we learned from. The syllabus contained what we learned of. When Jesus says, learn from me, he's saying the two are not separate, but they are one. Jesus says, when, when I call you to follow me, I am both the professor and the curriculum. 
Jesus is saying to be a disciple, a fully devoted follower, you learn from me because I am the master teacher, but you also learn of me. You learn who I am. I am one with the Father. When you learn how I live, how I talk, what I do. And when we become a disciple, friends, we don't enroll in a university. We enroll in a person. Remember, in a Jewish context, the students literally followed the teacher. He was a traveling teacher. They went where he went. They lived where he lived. They imitated him. They learned not only from what he said, but also from what he did. The task of the disciple, the student of the rabbi, was to become as much like the rabbi as possible. So then, Christ is teaching us that the reason we learn of him is so that we become as much like Christ as possible. To be a fully devoted follower of Christ is to take on the personality of Christ. It's to live like he lived, to talk like he talked, to think like he thought, to respond like he would have responded, to love like he loved, to give like he gave, to serve like he served. That's what it looks like to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So then, I know you're asking all of my concrete people in the room, give me something to do, preacher. What are some practical ways we can learn Christ? I'm glad you asked. One, one way you learn Christ is through the word of God. Jesus himself says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you'll know the truth. And the truth will set you Free. Friends, there's no way around this. To know Christ is to know the Word. To learn Christ is to become a student of Scripture. There is an amazing opportunity coming up for some of the women in our church to, in order to learn Christ. There's a 14-week in-depth study of the first five chapters of Romans beginning on Thursday, January 17th from 9.30 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. right here at our church. This is an amazing opportunity to learn more about Christ. If you want to <clears throat> learn more about this opportunity, go into our church app. If you want to learn, you can also learn more about Christ. If you want to learn scripture from seminary professors, there are free online courses that I can recommend to you. Another opportunity to learn Christ ha, is by participating in a bridge group. These are sermon-based groups that meet once a week to challenge one another to apply the word of God in our lives. The focus is on the second part of the Great Commission. We've been taught to obey. How do I do that? Groups are starting now, by the way. If you desire to join one, you can indicate your interest by checking that option on a bridge card. Other opportunities to learn Christ. Next month, some of the youth of our church are going to a youth retreat in Augusta called Focus. Why? To learn Christ. The men in our church meet once a month to learn. There are a number of opportunities. The point 
that we're making is by definition, you cannot be a disciple of Christ and not be a learner of Christ. It's impossible. We also learn Christ, go figure, by being connected to his body. In other words, you need to attend and be involved in a local church. Why? Because the church is God's plan A for making disciples. God so much cared about the church and loved the church that he sent his one and only son to die for her. It is through the church that we are equipped to do the work of the ministry. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us, that we are given apostles, prophets, uh, uh, shepherds, and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry. It is through the church where we receive the preaching and the teaching of the word. It is through the church that we are held accountable for our discipleship, which is why we have something called church discipline or rather church restoration. This is why we are commanded in Scripture to not neglect the gathering of ourselves together. So we must learn Christ. Jesus says the reason you want to learn of me, he says, because I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus says, I am humble and meek. I'm not proud and arrogant. I'm not a taskmaster, but I'm humble. Here's the result, and we'll get out of here. Jesus says, when you come and commit to him, you will find rest. It's a promise to be claimed and believed. Je Jesus promises rest to the weary. But you may be saying, why am I not finding rest? I love Jesus. I come to church on Sunday mornings because you're not abiding in that relationship. You're going through the motions of the relationship, but you're not fully invested in the relationship. Jesus says, I came to give you rest. What kind of rest? He says, first, I'll give you the rest of salvation. In other words, you can rest from living under the heavy load and burden of the law, but I'll also give you rest doing sanctification. Jesus says you can rest and you don't have to revert back to old behaviors, old ways of trying to earn and perform your way into being right with me. Jesus says, I also promise you eternal rest. Hebrews 4 and 9 says, so there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from, God did from his. Friends, this is heavenly rest. Rest from hurt, pain, suffering, sickness, death, disease, terrorism, and all kinds of evil. There remains a rest that we await. How do we know then that we will rest when we come to Jesus? Jesus says in verse 30, because my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. Hallelujah. Friends, don't get it twisted though. Jesus is not saying that once you come and follow me, life is going to be easy. He's not saying that once you come and follow me, you won't suffer. 
In order to understand what Jesus is saying, we have to revisit the imagery of a yoke. Remember, the yoke was the wooden beam that was placed on two animals to help them work together. Farmers, when they yoked two animals together, what they would do is they would take a strong animal, like an oxen, and yoke the strong animal with a weak animal. They would put the trained oxen with an untrained oxen. The tamed one with an untamed one. And what would happen during this course of events is that when the bulk of the burden and the load was placed upon the animals, it would be carried by the strong oxen so that the weaker one could learn and not have to carry more than he was able to handle. You're about to miss your shout. And Jesus is saying, the reason my yoke is easy and my burden is light is because I carry the bulk of the burden. Therefore, you can yoke up with me because I'll carry you and train you to carry others. Church, the only reason some of us have made it through the valleys and the burdens of this life is because Jesus was carrying the load. Jesus was bearing, bearing the burden. The good news for somebody here today is that you've got some burdens that you've been carrying for a while and it may seem unbearable right now, but Jesus says, if you will just yoke up with me, I will carry the burden for you. So much so that when you get to church on Sunday morning, you'll be able to say, glory, glory, hallelujah. Since I laid my burdens down, you'll be able to testify to somebody that I feel better since I laid my burdens down. Matter of fact, you'll say something like, I'm going to tell God how you treat me since I laid my burdens down. I got to get out of here. I don't know why. I'm going to go watch football, I guess. But there's not much more on my paper. There's this, let, let me help somebody real quick. There's this saying in Christian circles. And I want to help you because I love you. You tell people you've heard, or it may be told to you, that God won't put more on you than you can bear. I wish you lived my life. Because there have been some times in my life where there were some burdens and some situations put on me and some temptations that were put on me that in my own humanity I could not bear alone. Baby, sometimes, yes, God will put more on you than you can bear because he will take a child that you love so much. You will be evicted from a home that you work so hard for. You will lose a job that you need. Otherwise, you will be homeless. God may allow some things to be put on you more than you can bear. But the good news is the reason that God gives it to you is because he has his son who can carry the weight of whatever burden it will be and you will make it through no matter what happens. Matter of fact, all of us have a heavy burden this morning and that heavy burden is sin and the reason it's so heavy is because what we deserve because of our sin is eternal separation from God in hell. But the burden that we couldn't carry on our own, Jesus sent his son, God sent his son to Calvary, put him on an all rugged cross and what, what we 
were sin, Jesus took on for us so that the burden of our sin could be buried all the way to the grave. And so therefore I can say there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, the good news for you today is Jesus is a heavy load carrier. He is a burden bearer. And whatever you may have, Jesus says, yoke up with me and I will bear it for you. Worship team, y'all got something else to sing? Come on, we got to go. A fully devoted follower of Christ is one who learns Christ. They are a learner of Christ. And the goal is not to accumulate more information. The goal is to become more like Jesus. Yesterday when I was meeting with the men, I told them, that if you are a husband, every time your wife sees you, she ought to see a little bit of Christ in you. That's what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because I'm supposed to love Connie as just like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The same principle that applies to husbands is the same principle that applies to all Christians. When the world sees us. They ought to see a picture of Christ because we don't talk like the world. We don't walk like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't behave like the world. We represent, we represent Christ to the world. Why do we exist? We exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ. How the Westminster Confession says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We most glorify God when we look like his son. And so whatever it takes, become a learner of Christ. I know, I know. You're so busy. You've got kids to get to soccer and dance and school and ballet and every other event under the sun. But there's something that must, that's much more important than extracurricular activities. It's knowing God through Christ. And so what it's time now is for us to stop making excuses for ourselves. I don't have time to read scripture. I don't have time to study scripture. I don't have time to participate in the Bible study. Then you're too busy. If you don't have time to know Christ, you are too busy. And it's time to let go of some stuff. That's what it means to follow Christ. Following Christ is costly. Salvation is free, but discipleship is costly. You, there requires some surrender on the part of a disciple. Jesus said it this way. He said, if you want to follow me, you've got to take up your cross. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. There's a cost to being a fully devoted follower of Christ. My goal, my heart, 
my prayer for us is that we will be fully devoted. And the reality for some of us, if we were honest with ourselves, is that we are partially devoted. There are some parts of our lives that we are holding back from Christ. Jesus said things like this. If you're going to follow me, you, you, you've got to leave mother, father. You've got to love me more than mother, father, son, and daughter. You, 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 I've got to be the most important person in your life. Following Jesus in a Jewish context, it meant you had to leave family, your inheritance, your security. Following Jesus means there are going to be times where you have to follow him and you don't know where you're going to sleep the next day. Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man have nowhere to lay his head. That's what Jesus would tell his disciples or his would-be disciples. There is a cost. And so what I'm challenging us today is, there's an invitation from Christ, come and follow. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how bad you are, no matter how much wrong you've done, Jesus says, with arms wide open, for somebody in here today you are carrying some burdens and you're exhausted Jesus says come give the burden to me you rest some of us aren't able to rest from the burdens that we are carrying because we are trying to carry them on our own. We are trying to fix the problem on our own. And Jesus is saying, if you want to do that, you can do it. But you'll be exhausted. Jesus is saying, give it to me. Let me bear it for you. I am a burden bearer. You rest. Rest in the promises that I've made to you. Rest in the truth of my word. Fully devoted followers of Christ learn Christ. For some of us, that means not only do we have to get in the book, but some of us just need to become regular, regularly uh, involved and, a, and attend church. For others, that means we need to pick up more Christian books and theological books and read them. For some of us, that means we can use technology and podcast our favorite preachers and what have you. Whatever it may be, we must be learners of Christ. Not to get more information about Christ, but to be transformed by his word, by his truths. Let's stand together.